Merry Christmas, church. How's everybody doing this evening? Can we give uh, God and Christmas a round of applause? I love this time of year, right? Come on. A little energy in the room. Let's turn it up. It's Christmas season. It's the second week of Advent, which are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And on the second week of Advent, we are in this new series that we started last week for this Christmas season. And it's called the Christmas Family Tree. Now, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge, and I'm grateful that you have joined us for worship this evening. Uh, I want to kind of orient you a little bit about the, what's exciting about this series. I shared this last week, but I want to share it again. I think it's important. So this Sunday, being week two of this new series, as we move till Christmas Eve, the sermon that's taking place here is not the only sermon of its kind. This series is not only being preached throughout the five Crossbridge campuses in Miami-Dade, but it's being preached across the bridge movement. Now, you may be asking, what is the bridge movement? A few, about a month ago, we had our first ever conference called the Mijente Conference, which was where we kind of revealed and launched and shared about the bridge movement, which is our larger family of churches that is larger than just Crossbridge itself. Crossbridge is a family of churches seeking the renewal of the city through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have Crossbridge churches here in Brickell and Key Biscayne, Pinecrest Homestead, and Miami Springs. But there's a larger movement that God has invited us into and has kind of given us vision and passion for, and that's the bridge movement. And about a month ago, we welcomed two new churches here in Miami of different denominations and different styles into our bridge movement, City Church Alapada and Love Unlimited in Hialeah. And then we also have churches in Brazil, nine churches in Brazil that are a part of our bridge movement. I tell you that because today... You are part of a sermon series that has been preached in different languages, in different cities, all over the world to thousands of people. That's exciting. It's amazing to be a part of what God is doing. And I think tonight is the last sermon of the entire day. So you get the last sermon of all the 16 sermons on this passage in Genesis chapter 29. It's here for you in Brickell. And I want to tell you one other thing, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just popped in my head, so I'm going to share it, okay? And that's this. The Advent series culminates in Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve is exciting this year because we're doing the same thing we did last year. And if you were with us, you know how incredible and how beautiful that service was. Our service for Christmas Eve here at Brickle is going to be at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, but not here in the room. It's going to be at Crazy About You in Brickell, right on the water, on the boardwalk at, for a sunset service. It is unbelievable. So if you're here in Miami for Christmas Eve, join us, bring your family, bring your friends. Literally, the sun is setting during the service, and we end with candlelight. Come on. Can we, get, can we like give uh, some round of applause or some excitement for that? Yes. It's going to be good. So I, I love this time of year because there's like a sweet sense of the Christmas season. There's like a, a, a sense of sweetness during Advent and the Christmas time. Like the music has a sweetness to it. Songs like Silent Night and O Holy Night. There's a, a sweet sense of unity and love in the air. And if you check your calendar like me, you know there's a lot of love because there's a lot of parties and you're like, it's a lot, but it's love, it's unity, it's friendship, it's great, it's sweet. 
There's a sweet sense of generosity during the Christmas season as we're collecting toys for kids and building love bags for those that can't leave their house because of medical condition. And there's a, a sweet sense of generosity of, of buying gifts. And many of you have been buying gifts for family and friends and loved ones. In fact, December is the largest charitable month for nonprofits of the year. A sweet sense of generosity. And there's also a sweet sense of peace. I don't know if you're like me, but having a Christmas tree in your house with lights and ornaments and when it's a long day of work and you turn the lights down and that is lit up in the room, it's calming. It's, it's sweet. It's peaceful. And I also like putting lights on the outside. So when I come home, I'm already welcomed with lights. I was in a tree a couple days ago putting lights up. I'm dedicated, dedicated to the sweetness of Christmas. But Christmas isn't only about a, a time of sweetness and love and peace. It also has a really loud message, a very loud message to the church and to the world. And it's not only loud in 2022, but it was loud even thousands of years before Jesus was born because God has been proclaiming his mission and what he desires to do and will, in fact, do for his people. And we find that in Genesis chapter 29. We saw that last week as well. In the very beginning of the Bible, we looked at the first mother of Jesus, Eve, who's also the first mother of humanity. And we're going to fast forward many years to another woman whose name is Leah. Leah is another mother in the lineage of Jesus. And she has a very interesting story. And we're going to see the hope that God gives her, the way that God works in her life. And how what God spoke to Eve is a similar message that God speaks to us loudly in this season of waiting, which is what Advent means. It means waiting. And so I'm going to recount for you this story. If you have been with us over the past couple months, you know that I preached a sermon on Leah a few months ago. And so I want to kind of bring some of us that weren't here and aren't familiar with her story up to speed. But also we're going to be looking at a different angle and a different aspect of her story than we did a few months ago. So let me kind of bring you up to speed into the life and the story of Leah. And it starts before we ever meet her in the Bible. We meet a man named Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, and he has a brother, Esau. Now, Isaac is planning on giving his blessing to his oldest son, Esau. And when you give the blessing, there's no takebacks, okay? And so... Jacob wants the blessing because it's the inheritance, it's the anointing of God, it's God working through whoever has the blessing. And Jacob deceives his brother Esau and steals the blessing from Isaac, and his brother Esau wants to kill him. So he runs away, and he flees his family, and he goes to a land that he's never been, the land of Haran. While he's on his way to this land where he will find safety from his brother he goes to a well to get some water, and he meets a woman, and her name is Rachel. Now, he has love at first sight because she is beautiful, and he now knows this is the woman that I'm going to marry even before he speaks to her. He then goes with Rachel to meet her father. His name is Laban, and he says to Laban, I want to marry your daughter. Now, back in this time period, marriages were arranged. And so for a man to marry someone's daughter, they would have to pay a dowry. They'd have to pay a price for that opportunity and privilege to marry their daughter. 
So Laban says, no problem, you can marry Rachel, but you have to work for me for seven years, free labor, and then you can marry my daughter. And Jacob's like, no problem. (laughs) I'll work for seven years if I can marry Rachel because I love her. So he works for seven years, goes by like a blink of an eye, and now the time is done and he gets to marry Rachel and they have a big party, a wedding festival, and everybody is dancing and singing and there's drinks being poured and everyone is so happy and now the end of the party has come and they go to the wedding chamber. Now Jacob has drank a lot and he's not all there. As he's in the wedding chamber, something happens that he doesn't know, which is Laban switches daughters. So in the middle of the night, he consummates a marriage, not with Rachel that he worked seven years for, but with Rachel's sister, Leah. Now, Jacob does not want to marry Leah. He has no desire to marry Leah. And yet Laban has exploited Leah for his gain and tricked Jacob. He wakes up in the morning and he realizes he is now married to Leah instead of Rachel. As you might imagine, he's quite angry and he's He's so frustrated that in the moment he goes and it feels like he's going to kind of try to break off this marriage that's only been real for a few hours. And, and Jacob, or Laban says to Jacob, listen, if you stay with Leah, you, you kind of carry out this week so it's really official, this marriage, and you work for me for another seven years, then you can marry Rachel. Angry, frustrated deceived, just like he was a deceiver of his father. He probably feels like, wow, I mean, I guess I deserve this. And he agrees to work for seven more years so he can marry Rachel, the woman that he loves. We read that in verse 31, or verse 30 of Genesis chapter 29. Here's what God's word says. So Jacob, this is after he has agreed to these new terms, He went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. This is how the people of God find their beginning in this kind of mess, in this kind of dysfunction. Jacob, understandably, is angry and frustrated. He had to work an extra seven years to marry the woman that he loves, but I want you to understand how Leah felt. I want you to imagine how she feels. She has been exploited by her father so that he can get more free labor. Imagine how that feels. She's also unloved by the husband that she now has. He wants nothing to do with her. He wants her sister. There's another layer to that we have to be honest about, which is this. The power and the privilege of position is on Laban. He is the head of the family, and he is the head of the family's business, Leah is powerless to go against what he tells her to do. And so when he forces her to switch with Rachel to marry Jacob, do you know what that is? Sexual abuse. This is what the people of God find their beginning in. Dysfunction, abuse, trauma, pain. And you're going to see that God in the midst of these things is going to bring redemption. You see, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it is not written like a myth, for it is not a myth. 
It does not make everything look nice and perfect. It tells it how it is. The real history, the real brokenness, the real sin, the real exploitation. Because it wants you to feel and resonate with the brokenness of the world. And God works still through the brokenness to bring about redemption. And so this is what God is going to bring redemption to this broken family. And here's what happens as the the story carries forward. Jacob is going to have 12 sons. 12, okay? And he's going to have 12 sons with four mothers. I'll get to that later. (laughs) You're like, wait a second. I heard Leah and Rachel. You're like, yes, there's two more. They're coming later, okay? Here are the sons of Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Twelve sons, four mothers. And these twelve sons will become what is known as the tribe of Israel, the people of God. For Jacob's name will be changed to Israel when he wrestles with God. The name Israel means one who wrestles with God. So the very people that are identified as God's people that God loves and brings redemption to and is working in are people that wrestle with him. And we wrestle with him because there is brokenness in us. As we see here from the very beginning, there is brokenness at the birth of the nation Israel represented in these 12 tribes. But I want to focus on the first four sons because the first four sons come from Leah. Leah is the one that gives birth to Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. And here's what we read in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So here's what's happening. There's a lot that's going on under the text that you need to understand. Leah is not only unloved by Jacob and and in this weird dysfunctional relationship where she and her sister are married to the same man, Leah is also at a high risk of being cut out from the family and from society as a whole because children play a unique and vital role in the society during this time period in particular. So to have many children was the desire. It was not uncommon to have 12 kids or 10 kids or 15 kids. You tried to have as many children as you possibly could because children not only carried on your name and your legacy, but they also worked for your family business. If if you were working in agriculture or some type of trade, your children would be raised to work in your business. So you had as many children as you can. Because they work with you and for you and they carry on that legacy and that business. And women in particular were greatly honored and viewed as people of great value if they could have many children. Because children were so important to society and to the family in particular. So I want you to think about the situation that Leah is in. She's unloved by her husband. She has this really dysfunctional probably relationship with her sister now. And her sister is the apple of Jacob's eye. So if Leah was not able to have children, and she didn't have children right away, and Rachel was producing children, what would have happened to Leah? Consider that. Who does Jacob 
want to be intimate with. It's not Leah. It's Rachel. And if Rachel was having children, what would become of Leah? She would have no intimacy with her husband. She'd receive no love from her husband. She'd be cut out from not only her family, but be dishonored in society as a whole. So when God sees that she is hated, not only by her own husband, probably by her sister, also treated that way by her father, who doesn't have any value towards her and exploits her, and probably by society as a whole, God ensures that Leah will be receiving honor, that she will be valued, that she will feel as she is a benefit to her family and the broader society. He establishes that for her, despite the fact that there's a high chance that she may get left out or looked over. So he opens her womb, it says, when he sees that she is hated, God has a heart of compassion for Leah and the situation that she's been placed in, the trauma that she has endured, and now she is able to have many children. She is valued and honored. And we see Leah processing what God is doing in her life and in her midst when we see how she names her first four sons. We see her spiritual condition, what she's wrestling with, and we also see the way that God is working in her life. Here's what Genesis chapter 29, verse 32 through 35 says. It kind of lists off in, in right in order, the four children that she has. She is the first mother to have the first four children with Jacob. Here's what it says. When Leah conceived and bore a son, she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So it's very interesting, the dynamic of this family and what's happening in Leah's life. She's being established now in the broader society as a woman that is deserving of honor and value and viewed as someone of great benefit because she's having children. But you can see that something has transpired within her which is she's married to a man that doesn't love her and that is eating at her and there's this deep desire in her to be loved by Jacob. She wants her husband, her only husband, to love her. A good desire. An understandable desire. And so God looks on her with favor, and he opens her womb, and she conceives the first son and names him Reuben. Reuben's name means see a son. Now, it, this communicates two things, and she says this right after. She says, God has seen my affliction, and maybe now my husband will love me. There's two things she's feeling. It's very clear here in the passage. One is she is amazed and in a state of wonder that God is looking at her. The creator God of the universe is looking at Leah and sees her affliction, has given her a son. But she also hopes that this son will fulfill her deep longing of to be loved by her husband. Then she has another son. His name is Simeon. That means hearing. 
So now it's kind of doubled down. She's like, God is also listening to me. He not only sees me, he's listening to my prayers and my longings, and he's given me another son. Maybe now my husband will love me. She's looking at God. She's looking at her husband. She's looking at God. She's looking at her husband. Now the third son, she's not looking at God anymore. She's only looking at her husband. When she conceives the third son and gives birth to him, she names him Levi, and that name means joined. And she says there, now, finally, this time, my husband and I will be joined. He will love me. She names him Levi. You see, what has happened is over time she's been looking at God full of wonder. God, you see me and you hear me. But this thing that she desires, which is a good thing, that is the love of her husband, has now become an ultimate thing. It's the only thing that she wants. And so it's become an idol for her. The third son is very clearly revealing that, that she just wants to be joined to him. Then something transpires in the fourth son. She has another son. And she names this son Judah, and his name means praise. She makes this profound statement. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. The other times I've been praising God and then looking for my husband. And with Levi, I was just looking for my husband. But this time, I'm going to praise God. He sees me. He hears me. He cares for me. He's good to me. He's gracious to me. God is looking at Leah with mercy. She becomes this mother of honor, both in her time, but even to this day and every day going forward, we're talking about a woman who lived thousands and thousands of years ago. Her legacy lives on. In fact, her legacy has been redeemed by God. It didn't look promising at the beginning as she was looked over and left out by every single person, including her father and her own husband, and yet God has redeemed her legacy. And you see this in those first four sons and the blessing that they receive. When you fast forward the narrative to Genesis chapter 49, you read about Jacob. And Jacob is about to die. And so he's giving his blessings to his children. Remember, there's no take backs here. So when he gives it, that's what is upon their life. And the main blessing is the one that is the person that will carry on God's blessing given to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob. It's this primary blessing of which the kingdom of God and the people of God will be redeemed and saved through. It's the one that's connected to what we saw last week, that prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there will be one that will come who will crush the head of the serpent, though his heel will be struck there is a blessing attached to that, and that's the blessing that everybody wants, that everybody thinks Reuben, the firstborn, is going to get the blessing, because that was commonplace. But Jacob doesn't give the blessing to Reuben, because he says, which this is a hilarious uh, attack or you know, uh, slander, he says, you are unstable as water. Try saying that to somebody, you know? You're unstable as water. They'd be like, what? You're like, don't worry, it's biblical. And that's because Reuben commits adultery, and it's, the dysfunction gets worse, right? So then it's going to go to Simeon, right? Well, <laughs> Simeon and Levi are both passed over because Jacob says that they are angry and cruel men, 
And when you read about some of the things that they did, you know they are angry and they are cruel. In fact, Jacob curses them and says, you don't get any land and you are cursed to be scattered. So we get to Judah. Remember the first three sons, it's like she, Leah is looking at God and then looking at her husband, looking at God, looking at her husband. Levi, she's just looking at her husband. But with Judah, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And Judah's name means praise. Jacob looks at Judah. He says, you will be the one that will receive this blessing. And here is what Jacob says to Judah in Genesis chapter 49, the fourth son that Leah conceives and gives birth to. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Interesting. The blessing given to Judah speaks about a few things. It says, Judah, from you, from your tribe, from your lineage, will come a powerful nation, one that is worthy of praise. It will, you will be like a lion, and those that come from you will be like a lion, mighty and strong, but also what the lion represents, which is the king of the jungle, the king of all the beasts. Then he makes a statement, and he says, you will not see the scepter depart from you. See, what is being spoken about there is that the kingdom that comes from you, Judah, will forever reign. The rule of the one that leads your tribe will establish an everlasting and an eternal kingdom. And what will come to someone from the tribe of Judah is tribute, praise, and the obedience of all the peoples. Very interesting. From the tribe of Judah, we see many of the characters in the Old Testament. We see Ruth. We see King David. We see King Solomon. We see the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And then we see... Can you guess? Jesus. I've been telling you guys it's the answer in church. <laughs> Jesus is from the line of Judah, from Leah's line, not Rachel, not anyone else from her line. Her son Judah will come Jesus. And Jesus is, in fact, the, the fulfillment of this prophetic blessing. Notice this in the Christmas story. If you're familiar with this, you've maybe read it before, you vaguely remember some of the details. All the things that are spoken about here in Genesis chapter 49 to the tribe of Judah is fulfilled in Jesus. And I believe it's even, you even see it fulfilled at his birth. On Christmas Day, what we're celebrating on December 25th. Notice this. Tribute comes to Jesus. How? Well, first we see the angels. They're glorifying God and praising God. They're saying what? Glory to God in the highest. And then the wise men come and they bring gifts. They give tribute to Jesus and lay it at his feet. We also see the obedience of all people at Jesus' birth. You're like, hold on, the whole world didn't come there. I know, the whole world did not come there. 
but the whole world was represented in those that came there. See, it's very clear that when you look at the account of Jesus' birth, that there are two very different types of people that are invited by God to come and worship Jesus at his birth. First is the shepherds. The shepherds represent people that are in the margins, that are overlooked, the outcasts, because shepherds were outcasts in their society. That's why they were so afraid when the angels showed up, because many people associated shepherds with thieves, and yet they're invited by the angels to go and to bow before Jesus and to worship him and to show obedience, and they follow in obedience the proclamation of the angels. And then we have the wise men who come from the far east and they obediently follow a star. And who do they represent? Wealth, the elites, people of influence and power, for they were rulers in their lands. And they follow a star obediently until it lands over the house that Jesus is in and they give gifts and they worship him. Tribute comes to Jesus. Obedience comes to Jesus. But Jesus is also the great lion of Judah. See, in that manger is a a baby that is born to save the world, but that baby is a lion. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. There was a lion cub in that manger born to save the great lion of Judah. But not only a lion cub, also the king of kings, the great lion, the one who the scepter will not depart from, for he will establish an everlasting kingdom. Revelation chapter 17, verse four says this, he is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Jesus, the king of kings, the lion of Judah, who we bring our tribute and our obedience to, This is all a part of Leah's legacy. Her legacy has been redeemed and secured and set in history for us thousands of years later to marvel at and to show her great honor for the way that God worked in her life. But see, kindness to Leah and God's compassion to Leah was not only found in the way that he established her legacy. It's not only in like, hey, Leah, you had a difficult life and you were hated and you were overlooked and you faced great trauma and pain, but don't worry, your legacy is going to be established and secured and one of great honor for from you will come the very king of kings, the great lion of Judah. It's not only that. It's that God cares for her in the moment. He cares for her actual, present, earthly longings as well. What is the one thing that Leah wanted more than anything? The love of her husband. It's what she prayed for. It's what she was asking. It's what she desired. It's the idol that she had. It's the good thing that she made an ultimate thing in her life. And I want you to see how the story continues on. So after Leah has her fourth son, Judah, it says that she ceases bearing. Now, we don't know why she's not having any more children at this time. We're given some clues, and that's this, that Rachel, her sister, doesn't want her to have any more children. And so Rachel, who Jacob loves, and they're close, it seems as if Rachel has told Jacob, do not be intimate with Leah anymore. No more kids with Leah. 
because it says that Rachel envies Leah. She wants children so badly that she wants to die. Those are her words. See, her longing is not actually for Jacob's love. She's received that. What she desires more than anything is children of her own. It's the good thing that she has made an ultimate thing, and she's so fixated on that she's constantly putting roadblocks in the relationship with Jacob and Leah. She seeks to restore honor, Rachel that is, by saying, listen, I can't have children, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, Jacob, my maidservant, Bilhah, as a surrogate so you can have children with her, and then I will be the mother of those children. So he get, she gives her maidservant, Bilhah, to Jacob. He has two sons with that maidservant. And then Leah is like, okay, two can play that game. And he sa- she says, okay, Jacob, you can have my maidservant too. Zilpha, two sons. Told you, 12 sons, four mothers. The dysfunction, it's a mess. Then we have this like completely bizarre proposition. Listen to how this goes. Rachel comes to Leah after all of these kids with the maidservants, the whole thing, and Rachel says, I have a proposition for you. You can sleep with Jacob again if you give me your mandrakes. You're like, that sounds weird. What's a mandrake? It's a flower, okay? It's a special flower that Leah had that was known or believed to stimulate fertility. So she's like, if you give me your mandrakes you can go back to sleeping with your husband that seems like I've banned you from sleeping with him. So they agree. And then we find out that Leah has two more sons and then a daughter. And we read then that God looks at Rachel with compassion. For in her deep longing, what she desires more than anything is to have children. She has tried everything. God looks at her. He listens to her. And he gives her two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Now you may be wondering, what does this have to do with anything? Why are you telling me? She's like a fun story of dysfunction in the Bible. Well, here's why. Because you see in Rachel and Leah who God is for his people. He has not only given us a secure legacy in Christ, and that's what we celebrate during Christmas, that the Lion of Judah has been born to save, that the King of Kings has established a kingdom that is secure and eternal, and you can rest trying to establish your legacy in life because you already have a legacy that is eternal in Christ. But you also see that God actually does care for his people and their present earthly longings. He cares for what you pray for. He cares for what you desire. For we read about Rachel and God looking on Rachel with compassion and seeing that she's been praying this prayer for children and God opens her womb and gives her two sons. You may be wondering, what about Leah? What happened with her? Well, after Rachel has her second son, she passes away. And Leah remains with Jacob. And you're led to wonder a few things. One, you're, you're led to think, Did that relationship get rekindled? Was there healing? Did it grow? Did it blossom? Like what happened between Jacob and Leah once Rachel had passed away? Did she ever receive the thing that she desired more than anything, which was the love of her husband? 
Well, the answer is in Genesis chapter 49, in verse 31. You read about this cave. It's a famous cave where the great men and women of the faith that came before Jacob and Leah and Rachel were buried. That's where Abraham and Sarah are buried. It's where Isaac and Rebekah are buried. And it's where Jacob is to be buried. It's his burial place. So we read the following, verse 31. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Isn't that amazing? I think we have our answer. God looks on Rachel with compassion, opens her womb, and gives her the very thing that she's been praying and longing for, children. Did God do the same for Leah? Well, Jacob in his death decides to lay next to Leah, not Rachel. Be buried with her. See, I believe the text is very loudly telling us that the very thing that Leah prayed for was fulfilled, that God redeemed her present longings too, that the husband that she desired love from, she finally found See, I tell you this because Advent, as I shared, is a season of waiting. It's a sweet season with great music and love and unity and generosity and cheer. But I know that it can also be a difficult season because many of us in this room have deep longings. There are things that we have been praying for and praying for and praying for, and we know they are not gifts that will be found under a tree. They are beyond that. They are deeper than that. They are good things and deep things that we wrestle with and we resonate with Leah. We resonate with Rachel because they are things that we know are good and we have a hard time not fixating on them and making them ultimate things. I want you to hear this. God is listening. He hears your longings. He's not only giving you a legacy that is redeemed and secured in Christ and the eternal kingdom that he's established, but he is listening to you when you pray. He is listening to you as you have deep longings in your heart, and he is looking upon you with compassion and kindness. He has always been this way with his people, for this is God's nature. It is one of kindness and love and compassion. Don't give up waiting on God to prove himself faithful. He will prove himself faithful time and time again. He will redeem the very present longings of your life. See, that's the loud message I really believe that is coming out in Christmas. And it's the one I want you to hear and I want you to hold on to this season. I believe that Amos chapter 3 verse 8 is found part of its fulfillment in the Christmas story. And here's what that passage says. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. See, my prayer for you, friends, is that this Christmas season, that you would consider your longings, those deep longings that you have, you would bring them to the Lord in prayer. You would know that he sees you, that he hears you, that he cares for you, that he has a heart of compassion for you. God is interested in securing your legacy and your future through faith in Christ, who was born to save, but he is also interested in your present life and your present longings. And he wants to bring redemption there too and he has promised to be faithful that, 
to that. So my prayer for you is to know that the lion has roared during Christmas and that you will say this year, this season, this Advent, I will praise the Lord. Despite the pain and the longings that I have, despite my temptation like Leah and Rachel to make good things, ultimate things, regardless through it all, this Advent season, I will praise the Lord. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the hope that you give us. It's hope instilled not because we have any ability to make good on these deep longings that we have, but it's hope because we know that you are a God of compassion, that you have a heart for us, that you have proven that time and time again with the people that you love, with your very people, people like Leah and Rachel and Jacob and Judah and Ruth and David and Solomon and Isaiah and Mary. God, we come before you now as your people gathered together in this prayer as one. And Lord, you know the longings that are represented in this room. Each of us now can consider in our heart, in the back of our minds, those things that we've been praying that maybe we've given up praying. We've lost hope. We've tried to make a way ourselves to establish them. Would we bring them to you tonight? Would we know that you're a God that sees us? That you are big enough to look at every single one of us in this room and those of us online. You see us where we are. You see our struggle. You see our pain. And you have compassion towards us. Despite our brokenness and our dysfunction, you love us. Would the sweet sense of Christmas not just be on the exterior things, but would that be found in the faith that we have, that you have established, Holy Spirit, in our heart, in your character, God, in the legacy that you've given us and the promise of redemption in life that you have afforded us by your grace. We put this all before you this evening. Instill us with hope. Make us a people that will praise you no matter the circumstances of life and in the midst of our waiting. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, tonight as